Well, we're teaching a series this month that feels like it is right on time. And the series is simply called Good News. And heaven knows our world needs good news right now. I'm, I'm grateful for a tiny team of people that have been carefully and prayerfully pulling together these online church experiences with a whole bunch of cleaning products and social distancing because the world is hungry for good news. In fact, Google has been reporting huge spikes in search trends uh, around all different forms of good news. And, and for me, that's a reminder that the whole message of Jesus is good news for the times that we're living in. I really pray you'll feel encouraged and equipped uh, through today's message. And if you want a title for this message, if you're taking notes, we simply called it, He is My Provider. He's my provider. You know, at a time of economic uncertainty, um, and actually when some in our Liberty community are experiencing hardship as a result of the coronavirus, it's timely for us as followers of Jesus to remind ourselves what we believe about provision. And that is, the good news is, is that he, God himself, is my provider. I want to look first at uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. It says this, this is Jesus speaking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. That, those three words are a good message for right now. Do not worry. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? God's reminding you your value to him, your worth. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, it says, those who, who don't follow God, Run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. Pause for a second. The Bible's not saying don't worry, you don't need them. The Bible's saying don't worry, God knows what you need. He says here, verse 33, this is what we ought to do instead of worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of it. So in the Bible's telling us here, don't, don't worry, focus on seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness, knowing that the Father's heart is to add all these things to you as well. You know, I remember well, Andy and I, and at the time, three kids moving from Sydney, Australia to New York City to plant what is today Liberty Church. You know, when we were on the road to launching our first community, what is today downtown Manhattan. But I remember what a scary ride it was financially. Talk about, you know, that holding on to that promise, he's my provider. We had taken basically what life savings we had, stepped out in faith, answered God's call to start this church, but we didn't, we didn't have deep pockets or, you know, a benefactor funding everything. You know, we took what we had, we trusted God, and we decided to pay the bills and take care of things. Well, we reached a point where, you know, our credit cards we're filling up with all the expenses to start the church and our cash was running out. I actually did a spreadsheet 
I worked out our burn rate and what reserves we had left. And the scary reality was we actually had six weeks left by the numbers before we would be bankrupt, financial oblivion. And God came through in miraculous ways that, I, you know, I haven't got time to tell you the stories of the ways in which God provided for us supernaturally beyond our expectations. And the whole thing turned around like a miracle testimony right on the eve of launching the church. And I tell you, it wasn't a one and done situation. There's been times in the years since and the years prior, you know, in the years since when, you know, we've led our community of faith, Liberty, through some extremely lean seasons, our own family through times of financial struggle. But, you know, in each of them, the opportunity has always been to stand on what Matthew 6 says and seek first his kingdom. Now, before we uh, sort of lay out some keys today, uh, to accessing the good news of God's provision for our lives. I want to just step back for a moment and look at one of God's names in the Bible. You know, there are different names that God's people uh, use to describe him. You know, the same God, of course, but each one of them reveals a different facet of who God is. And, and one of them actually inspired the title of this message today, the name Jehovah Jireh or Yireh, the Lord my provider. It's actually taken from an interesting, actually quite a difficult story. Um, in the book of Genesis in chapter 22, it's a story of Abraham and Isaac. I'll give you a little backstory first before we turn to the scripture. But, but God in this passage had asked Abraham to do something unthinkable. And that was to travel to another region and offer his only son as a sacrifice there. I'm sure for Abraham, I can only imagine how completely out of character that seemed to him of his knowledge of God and the Father's heart. And I can only imagine how out of alignment that must have seemed with God's promise to Abraham, because God had specifically promised Abraham that he'd be the father of nations, that he'd have descendants like the sand on the seashore. Here he is with only one son. He's in his old age already, and this this seemingly almost crazy, impossible thing that God asks him to do. And I want to acknowledge, obviously, this story is complex. I don't even know if I can do it justice in the time that we have. It's certainly one of those hard stories in the Bible, one of those passages that's tricky to get your head and your heart around. And yet I also realize as I study it, you know, the Bible often reveals as much about us, the reader, as it does about God himself. And as you read the passage, you start to see the faith that both Abraham and Isaac had, their, their trust in God. And actually some of the things that, that Abraham says on the way to doing this thing, he says to the servants as they get ready to go to the final destination, he says to them, you know, we shall go up and we shall return. It seems like he has faith that there's going to be some other way that doesn't seem possible at this moment. When they arrive at the scene, Isaac, who, by the way, you know, many scholars believe he was not a baby or a child at this moment. He was a young adult, if not an actual adult by the time this moment happens. And Isaac says to his father, you know, where's the, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham responds in faith, the Lord will provide. Well, for a moment, it seemed like the Lord wasn't going to provide. And Abraham prepares to do this, this unthinkable thing. And by the way, just remember to this whole story is really a foreshadowing, a foretelling of what the heavenly father would do with his son, his one and only son, Jesus, and that he would actually sacrifice him for our sins on our behalf. But right at the vital moment in Genesis 22, verse 11, an angel stops him. It says, the angel of the Lord cried out, called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. 
But here I am, Abraham replied. I'm sure relieved. Verse 12, he says, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham, listen, Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And that phrase there, the Lord will provide, was that name, Jehovah Jireh, or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And it says, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So Abraham experiences this miraculous provision of God in his hour of need, and he calls the place, God will provide, or God is my provider. I can only imagine how disorienting and confusing that that whole experience had been for him. He had, he needed a miracle. Isaac needed a miracle too. And he had this promise of generations. And yet for a moment, all that seemed to be on the line. Now, when we think of the word provide, we tend to have too shallow of a meaning for it. And But you know, the original word there that is translated in English, provide, also it also had this sense of meaning to see to it. So the Lord will not only provide, but the Lord will see to it. It also has within it this idea uh, to perceive or to experience. So, so when God says, when, sorry, when Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider, he's not just saying God gives me things. It's richer than that. He's saying something like, my God sees and experiences all this need of mine and sees to it that he provides for my needs. So you see, it's deeply personal. It's beautiful. One of the commentaries on this passage said from the great needs of our soul for issues like salvation and forgiveness to the yearning of our heart for a spouse, God provides. God sees. God is with us. It's his promise and his character. It is his very name. So I want to spend the time that I have left just giving us some some practical tools today for accessing God's provision, four simple keys in the time that we have. And the first, if you're taking notes, is this, is number one, stand on his promises. You know, this word, the Bible, the word of God is full of powerful promises for you and for me. We read one of them already. I'll just re remind you from Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 33, it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So that's the challenge, the command. What's the promise? And all these things will be given to you as well. So, you know, we've got to stand on his promises. At times like these, scriptures like these are good for us to declare over our lives. Our God is faithful. All these things, he says, will be given to you as well. You know, the scriptures are full of promises. One of them actually is that, that all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen for you and I, thanks to Jesus. What about Philippians 4.19? It says, and my God will meet all your needs, will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So not only is God going to meet all your needs, but listen to the standard that he'll meet them by, not even by our own earthly standard, but, but according to what? According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's God's heart for you. What about in the Old Testament, Psalm 34, 
Verse 10, I love this promise. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And there it is again. You see that there's this, there's this call to seeking him. Those who, what? those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That's our heavenly father's heart toward us. What about Hebrews 13, 5, another promise? There's so many. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So this is a good challenge, right? Even as we press into God's promises for provision, we never want to get into a place of greed or envy or, you know, lust, coveting, right? So it says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Listen, why? Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So God's saying, in other words, you know, it's, we don't have to reach by our greed or our envy or our own human striving for these things. Why? Because God has already promised, I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. I am right there with you. It kind of reminds me a little bit of my message a few weeks ago when I preached about Joshua in, in, the, in the message, Uncharted Territory. And one of the points that uh, prevail in Uncharted Territory was study the word, speak the word, and submit to the word. So, you know, this first point here, it's a simple one, but are we in the Word of God? Are you reading your Bible? Are you, are you seeing those promises there and then speaking them out, kind of meditating them in a sense, speaking them over your life? Are you studying the Word, speaking the Word, and also submitting to the Word? Now, the second key for us to really access all that God has provided for us, number two, is trust in His power and goodness. Trust in His power and goodness. I wonder who you believe God is. What do you believe about his character or his intentions, his heart towards you? You know, as I was writing this message in the first draft, this point was just simply trust in his power. But I realized it was important for me to add the word goodness here because, you know, we need to believe more than just that God is powerful, but we also need to believe that he is good, that he's not only powerful, but that he is for us. In fact, every good thing finds its source in him. One, one passage in the, in the Bible says that every good gift comes from above, the Father of light. So and let me give you a couple of scriptures to stand on here as we determine that we're going to be people who trust in his power and his goodness. Matthew 7 verse 11 says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The Bible's saying if, if you earthly fathers know something about giving good things to your, to your children, and, and you know, we're, we're sinful, we're frail, we're broken, we're imperfect, how much more will our perfect, powerful, eternal, loving heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? By the way, one of the keys here, when it comes from that first one, when we talk about standing on his promises, it says to those who ask him, sometimes we do everything, but actually ask God, we'll whine and we'll gripe and we'll talk to other people. But have we made our requests known to God? Hebrews, uh, no, Romans, Romans 8.32 says this. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. What's, the, what's Paul saying here to the church in Rome? Well, it goes a little bit back to the Abraham and Isaac story in a way. 
You know, but God, God followed through. God actually gave his own son on our behalf. And Paul's saying to the church in Rome, listen, if God didn't hold back even his own son to redeem us, to purchase us back from the price of our sin, which was death, if God didn't even spare his own son, how much, how much more? You know, would you not along with Christ give us all good things, as Paul says? I mean, how would we imagine God is holding out on us like some kind of cosmic killjoy if he didn't hold back even his own son? Proverbs 3, a great passage that I love here in verse 6 says, Trust, which is what this is all about. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, what we lean on tells us a lot about who we trust. You know, if we trust in God, we're going to lean on him, not lean on our own understanding. It says, In all your ways, Submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And then a couple of verses later in verse 9, it actually unpacks, well, what does that look like? What's it look like to trust in the Lord and not lean on our own understanding? It says in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then, so this is a this is a conditional promise, right? Do this, and then it says, your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So again, it's about this this concept of trusting in the power and the goodness of God, understanding this kind of transitions us to the third point, that we need to live by his principles. Are we living by his principles? Stand on his promises, but then live by his principles. You know, I want to, again, connect this back to that Simple message a few weeks back from Joshua chapter one on uncharted territory. You know, now whole essence of that message, if you didn't hear it, was the children of Israel crossing into the promised land, but in a time of uncertainty, in some ways similar to the times that we're living in now. You know, Joshua was called to lead the people into the promised land. God had commanded him, be strong and courageous three different times in the passage. And then he, but he also directed him in the midst of it all. He said, absolutely lead the people, be strong and courageous. But he challenges him to live by God's principles in order to experience God's promises. These things, they go together, his principles and his promises. I'll read that passage that we shared that day from uh, Joshua 1, 7 to 8. It says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. So here they go together. Do not deviate from them, turning either the right or the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Twice in the passage, there's a command. And then it says then or only then. And then comes a promise. There's a principle and a promise and they're connected together. Only then, he says, will you prosper and succeed in all you do? We've got got the challenge, you know, in front of us. Are we going to be people, even in times like these, who determine I'm going to live by his principles? You know, when I first started out uh, in kind of full-time vocational ministry, it was actually the day after I finished high school, uh, I took what was described as the opportunity of a lifetime. And in many ways, it actually was. But the truth is, it was a full-time job for no pay. And uh, I was volunteering in a community center full-time. I was working actually night shifts. They called them graveyard shifts, and it nearly killed me, uh, from like midnight till 6 or 7 a.m. cleaning hotel bathrooms uh, to, to make ends meet. But I was like, 
in love with Jesus. I was discovering, discovering this passion for ministry and for helping people. But it was a time when I really, these principles of like, would I live by God's principles? It was, it was tested. It was a challenging time. Actually, you know, not only did I not get paid the first 18 months, but you know, I was in Australia at the time. It actually was some years into ministry, even when I did get paid before I was paid enough to have the privilege of paying taxes, you know, up to a certain amount of money, you don't even have the ability to pay taxes, right? And so I was under that for some time. And yet God was, was uh, testing me. God was giving me an opportunity to stand on his principles and he provided for me in miraculous ways, you know, in my late teens and into my 20s. And, and in those days, actually, my dad wasn't yet following Jesus. My mom and dad, you know, came to faith about 10 years after my brother and I. And uh, he was and still is, you know, he's an accountant in finance and gifted. And But I do remember him helping me each year at tax time and looking over the numbers, which in many ways outside of faith didn't make a lot of sense, the path that God had taken me on. And, and I remember him asking me about my giving to the church. And actually, I didn't even have the heart to tell him because in Australia, you know, the tithe is not tax deductible. Only giving to certain programs like college funds or buildings is tax deductible. I didn't even have the heart to tell him that was just the tip of the iceberg of what I was giving. But, you know, you know, I just had an opportunity to step out in faith and see God prove himself faithful. And of course, all these years later, you know, my, my dad loves Jesus and he's a leader in generosity in our church too. But, you know, sometimes we could tell ourselves in that situation, I could have at the time, well, I'll be faithful later. You know, I'll live by God's principles later. Well, if I had what they had, you know, I'd be generous too or whatever. And you know, what I've realized is it's what I have in my hand today. That is my opportunity to show what I really believe. And I believe if I'm faithful, if I'm a good steward with what I have, that God's heart is to give me more, more to steward. I never want to be one who would divorce his promises from his principles, you know, simple things. And, you know, many of you watching, especially if you call Liberty Home, like, you know this stuff. I mean, the tithe, the first 10%. You know, Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there'd be food in my house. But then it comes again, like always, the principle comes with a promise. See if I won't open the floodgates of heaven, pour out such blessing you can't contain it. I think about the offering, you know, about this lifestyle over and above my tithe, my 10%, I, I give as a lifestyle of generosity. You know, Proverbs spoke about that in the chapter 11, verse 24. It says, one person gives freely, and yet gains even more. This is the way the principles of God work. They're oftentimes backwards to the way of the world. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. You know, I think the, the principles of God, you know, play out in many ways when it comes to provision. I think one of them, you know, maybe there are some of us watching who run a business or lead a staff or an organization. Maybe there are some of us who right now have vulnerable or marginalized people, at-risk people in our world that are in our sphere of influence. This is a time for us to live by the principles of God. You know, care and compassion and generosity ought to mark God's people. Let me give you one more in the time that I have. Number four is lean on his people. Lean on his people. See, one of the things, and this is something I've learned, one of the ways God often provides is through his people. I saw it in the book of Acts, which is really the birth of the early church. Acts chapter 4, verse 33 is a great example of leaning on God's people. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. And what did that look like? God's grace powerfully at work. It says, says there, there were no needy persons among them. How's that possible? 
It says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. In other words, they, they leaned on each other. One person out of, out of maybe a time of abundance was able to meet a need for somebody else in a season of lack. Grace was upon them. And what did grace look like? No needy people among them because the community of faith rallied together and leaned on each other. You know, I think in a way we've had glimpses of that kind of radical generosity um, in recent times with the coronaviruses. People, even in our own community, have given toward the Benevolence Fund. Those who were in a place to be able to do something else for others gave generously. And what it's enabled us to do as the church on their behalf is turn around and meet needs. And I mean, there's too many stories to name them all that you know, here in New York City, that's looked like partnerships with hospitals, loving on those who are healthcare workers and first responders. We've been able to get behind homeless shelters in practical ways with medical supplies. We've been able to, you know, electronically give uh, gift certificates for groceries to many individuals in our church who found themselves stretched or under strain in a season of need. We've been able to partner with other churches. That's what it's all about, right? Unity in the body of Christ, the, the church, capital C church. You know, it, it's going to look like churches like, you know, the Dream Center in Manhattan and Brooklyn or you know, Reverend Michael Carrion up there in the Bronx doing incredible work. And we've seen it outside of New York, you know, Liberty communities globally. We've seen it in Manzini where I know for some in our community there, uh, you know, a day without work can mean a day without food. And Lou and Zinti and our incredible team on the ground there at Liberty Church in Manzini have been meeting needs, making a difference. Our missions partners around the world from Siam Reap in Cambodia to Kolkata, India, Karachi, Pakistan, on it goes. But isn't that the way that it ought to be in a time of need that the, that the people of God could lean on each other, be there for each other and for the community at large? You know, Galatians 6.10 says, therefore, as we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So I guess the question is, though, it's good for us to reflect, well, who is our provider? Who's your provider? Is it, is it God? Practically, is that the way that we're living? Are we living that God, in fact, is our provider? Or is your provider your boss or your bank or the government or your spouse? Or, or is your provider yourself? Because wouldn't it be powerful if we made this affirmation today? And it's simply the points of the message. What if we made this as an affirmation of faith? I stand on his promises. I trust in his power and goodness. I live by his principles. I lean on his people because he is my provider. Now I'm going to I'm going to pray close the message in just a moment, but before I do I want to read one last scripture of you. Uh, I want to declare it like a like a, a blessing or a benediction, if you like. It's a, it's a psalm. It's actually a psalm written by King David, Psalm 20. But I want to read this as a promise and a prayer over you. And I pray it would bless you and that you'd receive it before we close in prayer. Psalm 20 verse 1 says, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. 
May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Amen.